Well, good morning. Uh, ooh, that was a good response, better than I thought. Uh, my name is Brian Schley. Uh, I'm the youth and missions pastor here at Faith Church. So if you're new here, or if you've been around here for a long time, it doesn't matter because you're seeing me up here for the first time unless you're in 7th, 12th grade. So you're all going to be in part of the same, uh, same boat here this morning. And uh, we're going to find out if you're a model. Now the way I came about this, it was a couple weeks back. My wife Tiffany and I and my three girls were over at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And I don't know if any of you guys with, with kids or ever been in, in charge of kids that tend to do this whole head counting deal, just make sure we're all, all accounted for. So I started doing that. I'm counting two. Hmm. Start looking around and count again. There's two. A little bit more time passes. Same thing. And I go, hey, uh, hon, are we missing a kid? And she's like, huh. Kind of smile and uh, or maybe a, a smirk is a better way to describe it. She says, why don't you go check? I think you should try and find her. She's like, just to let you know, before she left here, she said, uh, I'm going to be like daddy. <sighs> what, am I in, what am I in store for? So I'm kind of peeking around and I'm looking. After a little while, I open the bathroom door. And there's my little girl. <laughs> Which leads us to, <laughs> are you a model? And I'm going to answer that rhetorically by saying, you are. And it's, it's clear for me to see some days that uh, it doesn't matter what I do, Everything I do is being watched at home by my three little disciples. And uh, <laughs> what I'm going to say is we are a model, not only to those three or, or for you who have little ones at home, but somebody's watching you. And uh, it may be somebody in, the, in a row, a couple of rows behind at church trying to figure out, well, I'm new to this faith thing. I think that person's kind of got it together. How does he act? Well, what does she do? Maybe it's at work. Somebody wants to find out, well, how does that person act? I'm watching you, your neighbors, your friends. Ultimately, we all have people watching us. And uh, that's what we're going to get into today in Colossians 3. So let me give you kind of a little fast forward on 1 and 2 in order to get us to 3. Paul wrote the book of Colossians um, to the church in Colossae. Ultimately, he planted a lot of church churches. That wasn't one of them. His disciple, who spent many years under his tutelage, was Epaphras. So it's assumed that Epaphras came to uh, Paul and said, all right, we've got this thing going, but it's not flowing as easily, it's not flowing as well as I think we're starting to kind of get a little off course here. So Paul's letter is in response to this. And the first two chapters are, uh, trying to go with a Cliff Notes version here, the first two chapters are trying to say, okay, we've gone astray, we've got to get everybody back in line here. So we're going to start it with, who is Jesus? So Paul goes back into this letter, and just the first two chapters are, who is Jesus? Let's talk about him. And what has he done? Let's be very accurate on who Jesus is and what he's done. And I'm starting to understand that we've got some false teachings going on about who this guy is and what he's done, so let's bring that back into place. Because it sounds like there's a lot of works-based salvation talk here and not faith-based salvation. So the first couple chapters start to get Jesus back into who he is accurately, what he's done, and, and putting the principles back into place that we are saved by God's grace alone and by faith in Jesus alone, and nothing that we can do beyond that matters. Okay? So that's the first two chapters. Fast forward then, there needs to be a chapter three, right in the middle of the four chapters. It kind of flips. So now that Paul's been able to say, here's who he is and here's the accuracy, and basically take Jesus 
and put him back on the throne where he belongs, where the church has gotten away from, what's our response? And that's where chapter 3 gets into. And there's going to be four topics that are in your bulletin that we're going to cover today on how do we become a better model. How do we be a model, not of fashion, not of clothes, not of shoes or jewelry. I know that I'll never be a model of any of those. But we can be a model of Christ. We can show others what Christ looks like through how we live and act. And we're going to see more about that in Colossians chapter 3. And you can turn to that as we get into understanding what the first point is. And he's going to cover that in the first four verses. And our first point that we're going to, that we're going to see is that we're going to fix our eyes on eternity. And let's read together verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3 of Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that you also will appear with him in glory. So the first thing we have to look at is chapter, verse 1. There's an assumption being made here. And that assumption that is that we've already put our faith in Christ. He's writing to this church who's already demonstrated that we do believe in Christ. We've just gone a little bit of astray. Okay, so we're, we're already assuming that part. And then that gives us the opportunity to go into verse 2. And that's where we are putting our eyes on things that are above, not having our eyes on earthly things. And you don't need to go there, and we're not going to show it, but one reference if you want to check out later, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus talks about this, this, this kind of polarizing opposite idea that we can have our eyes on heavenly things and earthly things at the same time. And Jesus says we can't have two masters. You're either going to love one, and if you do, you're going to hate the other. And that's a similar thing. He talked in reference to God and money. Same as we're talking about here. Heavenly things, eternal things, or earthly things. We can't love them both. But that also doesn't mean that we can't love our time here on earth. It just means that that love is going to come from our eternal focus. That love and that joy that we find here on earth is only going to be a spill out of keeping our eyes on eternity. And verse 3 allows us to get that idea of we are going to be in eternity. Okay? This is a perfect picture that Jesus paints of saying that we are hidden with Christ. And why does this matter? Well, in our sinful nature, God cannot stand sin. Right? So we are, we are condemned to hell based on our natural sin and our acts of sin. Unless we repent from those sins and we choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when we do that, verse 3 says we are hidden then. It's like our sins are hidden with Christ. God can no longer see that. He's no longer looking at that. He's looking at the Holy Spirit and Jesus in us. So we've got this perfect picture that's hidden. And why is that important? As verse 4 tells us, because Jesus is coming back. We're going to meet him again someday. And we want to be in Christ when that day comes. You know, we know how this story is going to end. The book tells us. Kind of like how I took something away from a parenting conference a few years back. It's like, your children, as you're spending your time, there's going to be a time, sometime around that early adulthood, that they're going to be on their own. That's our end point. 
So we've got two options. You're either parenting on purpose, or the other option is if you're not doing that, you're parenting on accident. And if you're parenting on accident, what's the outcome going to be when they leave your home? We'll find out, because we don't know. And if you're not parenting on purpose, somebody is. And that somebody might be some friends in school. That somebody might be a neighbor. That somebody maybe is a youth worker or a youth leader. But somebody is doing it. But if we as parents can see that end of the road, see what we're looking at, and then plan accordingly, we've got a shot of parenting them on purpose and, and seeing our end game and fixing our eyes on eternal things. So a couple years ago, uh, I got this great idea that I should go and do an Ironman triathlon. But the way this came out is I didn't just randomly one day wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to drive to Madison. I'm going to stay out. I'm going to get down there and all of a sudden I stumble on this big event, thousands of people going on and say, what's going on here? Well, these guys are going to go and jump in this lake, swim around 2.4 miles. They're going to get out. They're going to jump on their bikes and go ride around 112 miles. And when they get done with that, they're going to go run a marathon. Sounds fun. I'm ready. In contrast to that, I signed up over a year in advance. I had a coach. I had somebody helping me all along the way. I had very specific goals, very focused training plans. I had things in my training plan that I needed to take out from old, bad habits, bad, bad training regimens, bad eating habits, new things that that coach said, no, you need to do this to become equipped and ready for race day. And all along this while, over a year, everyday grind meant for a very fun and rewarding and fulfilling race day experience. That was the fun part of it. That part, it's like all the work is done. Now I'm just here to celebrate and have some fun. Now I'm just here to do this thing because I put all the work in. I'm, re I'm ready. Finishing that and, and crossing the finish line 11 hours and 46 minutes later of nonstop exercise helped me to reflect back. And a lot of time during, <laughs> helped me to reflect back now, what if I put this much time, energy, focus, preparation into my eternal living? How would I live differently? And I think that I've taken some things from that and been able to see very focus-like and be able to change course in a few ways. And now I talked about my coach helping me to kind of rid some things, rid some bad habits, rid some bad eating, eating habits, and try to uh, get rid of things that weren't helping me. And that's the point number two is talking about as well. And point number two says we are supposed to rid sin from our lives. And we're going to see that a little bit more as we get into verses 5 through 11. So you can read down the screen with me or follow along in your Bible as well. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. This comes to the tough part of the letter. 
you know, not only were you off course about Jesus, but here's your lifestyle that you're living, and I'm going to put it right down on paper and put it in front of your face. And I don't think we're too far off, almost 2,000 years later, from the issues that the Colossians were dealing with, from the issues that we're dealing with. But I like the, that point, too, kind of has a blank there and just filled in with sin. But I think that blank can be filled in with anything that you're dealing with. So it's got me thinking, if this is Paul's letter to the Colossians, to the church in Colossae, if we, at faith, would receive a letter, here's the Faithians, here's your sin issues, what would that be? If each of us, as individuals, were to receive a letter, what would we have put in front of our face on paper and saying, you need to rid yourself of these? What would those things be? Because as verse 6 says, the wrath of God is coming. Are we ready? I hope so. I didn't even find that one. Can we do that again second service? Yes, it is coming. And again, that beautiful thing in verse 3 says that by having our faith in Christ, though, those sins are hidden. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's that, that Holy Spirit that resides within us by accepting Jesus that allows us to rid those sins by focusing on him and asking for his help to clear our bodies and clear ourselves of the things that we aren't supposed to be doing. And it continues. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying continues more things, more things. And a lot of those, though, I look at and I say, well, these aren't an issue unless they're with people. Because if people aren't really around, how much impact does that have? It's when we get into community with one another that these issues come out. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you started to sense anger? You started to sense some slander, malice? Maybe it's been you doing it? What ultimately happens? That conversation just takes a whole new level. And then typically, the majority of time, I find, that the response doubles that, and it just continues to build. We'll see that on sitcoms if you ever watch TV. What happens if people yell, people yell, door, door, slammed. Interesting way to navigate your life. Okay. But instead, Proverbs can kind of sum this up as saying, Proverbs 29, 11, and if we can get it on there, great. If not, I'll read it to you. It says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Are you that calming force? Are you that person that in a conversation when it starts to heat, you can just say, all right, what's this year? How do we handle this? Okay. Some people want to take that on and, and rid their sin. Unfortunately, there's, there's others who don't. And uh, some of you may, may remember, you know, I'm thinking this old 80s decade, I was trying to get back into the 80s as much as I could. I was close with this next clip, it's 1993 in this clip. I was in middle school, and I remember having debates on this in class as far as saying, can Charles Barkley really say that? Professional basketball player, one of the greats of all time. In this year of 93, he was actually the NBA MVP. So he's got some clout, and this is a Nike commercial. And I see this commercial coming out as being his response to essentially reading verses 5 through 11. You got a couple options. Let's see what Charles says. I am not a role model. 
I'm not paid to be a role model. I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Well, doesn't mean you should raise your kids. Parents should be role models. Absolutely. No arguments with that one. First part, however, Chuck is so wrong. You know, you can't just declare yourself a role model because you continue to make bad choices. Because you show anger and rage and malice and contempt for people on TV and in news reports. That doesn't mean you can just say, oh, that's a problem. Do I do the hard work? No, 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 I got an idea. I'm not a role model. Good, I can keep going and doing what I want. Okay. Unfortunately, somebody's watching, and in this case, many are watching. In your case, I wonder if there's many more watching than you even realize. That's why it's continued very important to rid ourselves of sin so we can become the model of Jesus Christ. Point three, how else do we become a better model? Share the love of Christ with others. Let's go on in 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So not only are we supposed to rid ourselves of all these sins, but now we've got some extra stuff to do, right? I think a, an easy example to, to see these put into place was my first day ever here at Faith. I visited last spring because I wanted to get, a, get an idea. What is faith all about? What are the Faithians like? What's this church all about? So I sat back there. My thought was, if I'm in the way back left, I've got a view of everything. So I wanted to just take it in. So I kind of snuck in and I hid in, in the back row and just thought, I'm going to blend in here. I'm kind of on a, just, I'm on a recon mission here. I'm not looking to really connect with people. I just want to see people and observe and see if that looks like somewhere that we would fit in. Well, very quickly, that whole idea about blending in was kind of nullified because Pastor Kyle made that whole idea like, hey, greet somebody. I'm like, oh, come on. Why do I have to greet somebody? I just want to sit back here and be quiet. Eh? So then the guy turns around. Hey, I'm David. So we start chatting a little bit. Find out we have some similarities. You know, three little girls. He had another one on the way at the time. Eh? So we start conversing. We have connections in family. Showed gentleness, humility, kindness, compassion. So we sit down and we continue to worship, and I'm thinking, huh, there's more people like here, like David. This is a pretty good place. Message is done. Pastor Jeremy says something to the effect of, now if you don't know somebody as you're exiting, please go and greet them and get to know them, right? So, well, that's interesting. I'm going to watch and see if people do that, right? I want to see if people seem like they're connecting after and trying to make people feel welcome just trying to observe and walk out. And as I kind of sneak out, hoping not to really talk, but just to, just to observe, I'm kind of walking head down, trying to do the whole quiet thing as, as I'm looking. 
follow, follow this figure all the way up. And for all the way up doesn't mean a lot for me, but follow it all the way up. And looking down at me, there's this big booming smile. And a hand comes out. Hi, I'm Andy. Are you new here? Yes, Andy, I am. And then so we engage in a conversation. And he tells me, and, he, and he's patient with me, because I'm asking him at this point, I'm like, I'm already kind of you know, bought into this. I'm already stuck here in this conversation. I may as well ask him some questions and learn more about faith. So he engaged patiently, gently, caringly, compassionately. That's sharing the love of Christ in real time. That's sharing the love of Christ within our body of believers. And there's another word that I just can't overlook here in this, in this section, and that's forgiveness. In verse 13 in particularly, it starts talking about this. And why are we supposed to forgive? Well, the big one is because Jesus forgave us. But even more so, there's so many more reasons. What are we modeling when we're able to forgive people? Okay. The other big one, when we harbor this unforgiveness, whether somebody is, you obviously, uh, we're assuming that somebody has sinned against us, whether they recognize it or not, whether they have sought to be forgiven or not, if, if they've apologized or not, whether they recognize that they've sinned against you, whether they care, that doesn't matter. And oftentimes we try to put on this front like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to really show them. Forgiveness isn't about them. It's about us. Because it frees our hearts. So when we're able to forgive somebody, whether we tell them that or not, in many cases that's pretty freeing as well, but whether we forgive somebody frees us up. To do what? To share the love of Christ. So that way we're modeling what that looks like. If we get stubborn and we hold on to that, what kind of a model are we giving our Savior has forgiven us of every sin we've done if we've put our faith there. Why can't we do the same? And now we're going to go into the last of our four points. And that is to do everything for him. And we could probably fill that in with a whole lot of extra blanks as well. Do everything for him. Let's go through 15 to 17. 15 starts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, the first reassuring thing here is in 15, when he says, we're in this together. We're all here together as one body this morning. We've got people that we can rely on. We've got people that can build us up and encourage. We've got people here who can hold us accountable. And ultimately, we've got people here who are ready and prepared to bring us through the hard times. Because we're all kind of like a sponge. We can kind of float through life pretty easily, pretty simply, in many times, sometimes just taking great form. But at some point, we've been guaranteed that we are going to face trials. We are going to face sufferings. And when we've got each other to rely on, 
that's a big support of that. Because ultimately, what happens when stress hits, when we lose a job, when we have an illness, our family members, there's strain, we get squeezed. Okay? And kind of like a sponge. Sorry, Kyle. Something comes out when we get squeezed. So the question is, what comes out of you? Verse 16 continues. And he's trying to answer that question for us. Because he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. If we are fed with the word of God, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we're seeking him on a regular basis, what's inside of us? God, the Holy Spirit, ready to pop out. So that way when we are squeezed, the Holy Spirit comes out. The love of Christ comes out. We are modeling Jesus for people rather than what we talked about in number two with the sin coming out. We can have the love of Christ coming out. You know, a story that I recently read was talking about a man who had a, a, a recent diagnosis, a terminal illness, was given two to three months to live. And this man is kind of writing down some things and, and sharing with people. And he said, well, right away, that news hit me. He said, well, I've got two choices. One, get really angry at God and go to this next two or three months battling him, arguing with him, trying to tell him how he's wrong in this, fighting him. And then when I meet him, I'll still be battling and fighting and, and trying to determine this. Well, that's not how I've been living. I don't think that's what he wants from me now. So what's my second option? He said, I can live my life the way I've been living it, with my eyes on eternity and sharing the love of Christ wherever I go for these last two to three months. In everything I do, I can live for him. So with a man who's, who's terminally ill, he had a lot of doctors around, nurses around, hospice care workers, family, friends, relatives coming to see him. And after a while, people started to see a theme. Every single person he came in contact with, he shared Jesus with. And finally, somebody asked him, they said, you know, I'm seeing that every single person you're trying to share Jesus with, what's going on here? You know, you're, you're about to meet Jesus, and you're dying, and that, that's what you want to do, spending your last days with? What's your purpose? I said, well, you're right. I'm going to go meet Jesus in a short time. And my thought is, I'm going to bring every person possible with me. Talk about fixing our eyes on eternity and doing whatever we can to live for him. Speaking of whatever we do, how do our conversations work on a daily basis? How do our activities fit in? How do our hobbies fit in with having this eternal focus, with doing everything for him? How does work fit into that? You know, originally, God's intent wasn't for work to be about compensation. It was meant to be about contribution. And we've gotten so far aside from that for many cases that whatever you do during your day, do you see that as your mission field? Do you see you have an audience of one watching whatever you do? 
being your focus and if you're if you're doing it for him there's a a great pastor from the late 50s early 60s he's a a southern pastor in Alabama a Baptist pastor and many people will be pretty aware of him and he had a lot of thoughts about what this meant to be uh, a working Christian somebody who is still trying to do whatever they do for him. Let me share with you a quote from pastor Martin Luther King Jr. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare composed poetry. He should sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. What if we all went to work every single day with that attitude? You know, I, I went to pick up my daughter from first grade the other day. And uh, getting to know, I know some of the parents there, and I'm doing it on a semi-regular basis. And one of the parents kind of came up, and so we made small talk. And within the, like the second thing that she had said was, it was just Thursday, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Oh, almost a weekend. And I just put my head down. I'm like, yep, I guess so. But how unfulfilling, how unrewarding if your goal is to hammer through the week to get through the weekend. What opportunities are we missing Monday through Friday, if all we're doing is trying to get through the weekend. If we're waking up grumbling on Monday morning going, oh, I got a case of the Mondays again. You know, don't talk to me. I need my three cups of coffee before I even can function. What if we turn that around and we tackled every single day trying to share the love of Christ and saying, I'm on mission today and this is my goal. So that way when I'm modeling, Christ is coming out of me. Because here's the whole idea of this, and I love this saying that people are more caught than taught. They are more caught by who you are than by what you say. In many cases, in an education, I learned that people aren't willing to listen to you until they know who you are. So if we can model this love of Christ through our lives, if we can rid sin, if we can have an eternal focus, if we can do everything for him, we gain the right and the privilege to share Jesus with people. Wouldn't that be something special? If we are models for Christ that people would want to follow.